0: Jelly Marketing Podcast. Hi, and thank you for joining us on episode 24 of the Jelly Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Rod Jans. On the Jelly Marketing Podcast, we ask global industry leaders from world-class brands to share their best practices, stories, innovations, and more to help you move your agency, business, or organization ahead. Our topic for today is the power of a company blog. Our guest, Dan Morris, is from Blogging Concentrated. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, where we find out what Dan likes to spread on his toast. Episode number 24, here we go. Hi Dan, thanks for joining me on the Jelly Marketing Podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm very much looking forward to beyond on the Jelly, although I'm not sure why it's called Jelly.
0: Well, well, we'll get to that.
1: Let's do get to that.
0: Dan is the founder and owner of Blogging Concentrated blogging concentrated. He travels the world teaching people how to blog, and that's the context uh, under which I first met Dan, and we've stayed connected ever since. He's a great uh, instructor uh, as far as blogging is concerned, and he works alongside uh, Rachel Martin, who has a sort of a world-famous blog as well called Finding Joy. And uh, if you ever get a chance, check that out. She writes on on parenting, and it's uh, really good Really good stuff. Where do we find you today? What part of the world are you in today?
1: I'm actually just south of Janesville, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. Which was recently on the news as uh, Paul Ryan was doing a big uh, teleconference there.
0: Okay. What was that about? I missed that.
1: He was uh, congratulating Trump for his win in the, uh, the U.S. election. And I believe he's from Janesville. So I was excited to sort of be there as that was happening.
0: Yeah, we'll be posting this next Tuesday, but uh, Dan and I are talking the day after the election, and we've already chatted about that a little bit. (laughs) A historic day in the history of the United States. Dan is from the U.S., so he was paying close attention to that, like most of us were on this side side of the border as well. I just want to go a bit into your career path. When did you first become interested in marketing?
1: I think that I have been interested in marketing since youth really but uh i I think public education is is set up kind of to move you to uh (laughs) to to more of a a career and less of an entrepreneurial status so you know the public education kind of like moves you to college and then college moves you to a, a a regular job and they're all proud of every single step and i'm not exactly sure if you if you end up doing marketing in college, how you got there? Because they don't teach that in high school. So, I, I, did, I don't think I even thought of it as a like a career path at all until long after college. I was just always sort of an interest, in a hobby, and you know something I like paying attention to.
0: What were some of your early blogs like? What, what what was? Tell us about some of your first blogs or your first blogging experience.
1: Well, I used to be in the commercial industry. Uh, we own the worldwide marketing rights to an antioxidant nutritional supplement and we sold it uh, via TV and radio uh, long-form infomercials. And my job with that company was to handle the web traffic that came not because we drove them because you, you know, in, in direct response, you drive them to an 800 number, but because people would naturally search after seeing the commercial. So, so my job was then to make them you know, figure out how to how to get them to, to buy the product. And in doing so, I noticed that many people were were interested in the, the antioxidant description pages, like what, what were the ingredients. And then one ingredient in particular, resveratrol, uh, was clicked often. So I decided, as a first blog, I guess you could say, as a first website, that I would create a resveratrol website. And the whole goal of it would be to attract anybody searching about the, the antioxidant resveratrol and wanting to learn more about it, since it's you know it's in red wines, you can't necessarily drink that all day every day. <laughs> uh, so, so I started building uh, the site, and it would take you from an interest level to ways that you could add it to your diet. And our nutritional supplement was our uh, number one recommended product to do that. So it's kind of a a third-party way to drive traffic to your your website. That, mm. That's how it started.
0: Awesome. And take us from there, that first blog, to starting blogging concentrated. How did you go from beginning to blog and then teaching other people how to blog and and to uh, you? One of the things that I like about you because it's it's one of the it, it's an issue that so many people face. They wanted. They want to blog, and they want to earn revenue from their blog, and that's what you guys do so well—is teach people how to earn revenue from blogging. How did you go from that first blog to uh, blogging concentrated?
1: Well, the the first blog helped us sell—you know—the resveratrol site helped us sell product, and we had a fulfillment center actually in, in Michigan, uh, and our fulfillment center happened to also be the fulfillment center that that Guthy Rinker. Which is a big uh, cosmetics company, I guess you'd say, in the United States. They also use the same fulfillment center. So Guthy Rinker, they asked if we would, if we would help them work on the conversions, uh, for them, because they wanted to have the kind of uh, depth in the warehouse that we had for the money they were spending on TV, uh, which was great. Uh, that was, you know, that was fun to do. Kind of a step up from where we were. And um, from there, somehow I got an invite to speak at a conference about conversions, about how how to convert traffic from TV to the web. And there were bloggers there. I I forget the kind of conference, but uh, a blogger wrote later, a couple months later, and said that she had uh, implemented some of those things in her blog, and her husband was able to quit his job. (laughs) Wow! And uh, I really thought, man, that's way better than, Helping somebody increase their sales by three <laughs> percent. So, I mean, that was a much more satisfying type of letter. Uh, and then, so that was like step one. And then, at some point in time, a group of bloggers got together and asked if I would come speak to them for the day at their little private blogging retreat. And then that, that happened a couple more times. And I thought, man, this is awesome. Here, you could get paid, teach for a day. And then go home. And then I thought, well, how do we make that happen more often? And you know, I I didn't exactly know the process of convincing a bunch of bloggers to get together uh, for a retreat, and then convincing them that they needed a speaker, and then convincing them they needed to hire me. So ultimately, I just decided, why would we wait? Why don't we just hold our own workshop, and we'll invite the bloggers to us? Then we could control when we do it and where. And that began the process. And uh, Rachel and I did the first event in Denver three or four years ago. Um, And then we went to Atlanta, and I think we've maybe done 80, 70 or 80 of those at this point around the world, New Zealand, Canada. Um, And uh, that's that's kind of how the company evolved. Uh, And we've had a chance then to also work with, uh, with big companies and helping them figure out Their online strategy as well, because it doesn't really matter whether you're a solopreneur or a big company, you know, it's still, you're still reaching out and touching people.
0: Yeah, good. And thanks for that transition. (laughs) I wanted to ask you, um, you know, most of the people that we're talking to on the Jelly Marketing podcast are people in the corporate world, although I'm sure we have lots of solopreneurs, solopreneurs and people just blogging as well. But I'm wondering if you might have some some tips for us. Why would a larger, and I I just love it that you've had this hands-on experience with, you know, this Guthy Ranker must be like a Fortune 500 company or something like that. They're probably in one of those those Fortune groups, Fortune 1000, Fortune whatever they are. Um, I wonder if you could just share a few tips with us. Just why would a company want to have a blog? I think in some people's minds, a blog is something that, you know, moms do or, or whatever, like mom blogs, dad blogs, that kind of thing, or travel blogs. But what's the advantage for a company uh, to blog?
1: Well, pri- primarily, I don't want anyone to start a blog as a general rule, uh, because a blog is really, it really is some effort. I mean, it it does. It's not just like writing an article and putting it up. That doesn't necessarily, you know, cut the mustard. Um, but for a big company, uh, I think it's. It's really important to leverage your online presence, uh, and in a way that actually drives revenue to your bottom line over time and in an, you know an increasing fashion. Because otherwise, you end up spending a bunch of money. First of all, who are doing a bunch of things, but the day they go on vacation is the day your entire online world stops working, uh, and that shouldn't be the case at all. Because pretty much everything online should build upon itself there's really no reason to do anything that doesn't either support something that you did yesterday or two months ago or is going to be supported by something you're gonna do tomorrow so that you can you know really increase your online presence uh, and get in front of a lot more people and the great thing about using uh, content like a blog is that it is a perfect filter for the billions and billions of people that are online every day to drive people to drive the right kind of traffic back to your website because you know the companies are spending all kinds of time trying to figure out how to improve you know the conversion rate of product A and they do things like change the buy button from blue to orange or make it a little bit bigger but what they normally fail to take into account is how did the people get there in the first place were they filtered or was it just General traffic that just came because they were, because some sort of messaging you know made you curious. A blog, a, a blog post or you know or a blog page is is typically uh, is a set of inf- you know some information that you're delivering. You know in this case via you know prose, and that inf- information uh, kind of filters out the people who you've basically said this is not for you. Filters in the people that you've said this is for you. And then they want more information. So then your conversion rate is based on um, real traffic that has a, a vested interest in your product, not just anybody that comes from Facebook that day. So we're a huge fan of using a blog as a filter to your product to make sure that your sale, your checkout pages and your shopping cart pages aren't just filled with curiosity seekers but are truly filled with people who need and want your product, which lowers your overall cost of optimizing Hiring people to figure out who's had the wrong people, because you know 140 characters on Twitter doesn't isn't the best filter in the world. It does it does arouse curiosity, but it doesn't necessarily mean that person's a potential buyer. Now, secondly, I really want you to be the expert. I want your audience to realize that not only do you know what you're talking about and you've spent a lot of time putting it together, but that you can leverage the proof of others that you know what you're talking about. You can mention how. You know, Al Roker on TV talked about your product to show that you know other people appreciate value and know you know what it's worth. I like that ability that you can do in prose, tiny little nuances to prove you know that other people like you or want your product or use it or are satisfied. Just even a simple picture or a simple statement. You know, those are those are great ways to overcome simple before somebody purchases your product or service and then finally i really want what you do today to actually be working for you in six months and two years so corporations are stuck in a budget and you know if they only have a thousand dollars for their website like how many things can you possibly do but if you bring in five hundred dollars a month you, you can really start trying things you could really start you know, Oh, and finally, I really want what you create today to be working for you six months and two years down the road. I want the kinds of you know the the things that you say online to actually be found by the search engine to provide some leverage for your company. Makes your website then makes five hundred dollars a month because of that effort. I would love for that five hundred dollars a month to continue next month. So that this month you're making $700, and next month you're making $900. So that as a company you can really start to experiment with different ways to engage with your audience online. Um, you know, we're all kind of stuck inside of a, a budget, but if you can turn that budget into a revenue machine, then you've got an unlimited budget, which means you can, you know, you can really do a lot of fun things. The the hardest part is the discipline. You know, the discipline to understand you know, to do keyword research and to understand how to write, to persuade, and you know, how to overcome objections, um, how to be engaging uh, and show your voice and be the expert, all of that, those things aren't easy to master. Um, and unfortunately for big companies, if you have interns or a variety of people that, you know, come through and working on your social media and blogging program, that voice is hard to, you know, to create over time because you don't have someone who's really Honing what it is that they want to say, and is learning from mistakes. So, you know, I, I don't want you to go as a company to go into blogging lightly, but to realize it could be a fantastic revenue-generating machine, and because of that, it requires the the deference that any other, you know, capital expenditure in your company, you know, requires.
0: Can you just make a comment about Google because? With the changes to Google over the last couple of years, it seems like a blog can actually really help. Like, what it seems like Google's looking for relevant content. It's looking for new content. Is that what you're you're finding as well?
1: So the Google algorithm. Now Google is one of the search engines. iTunes, Amazon, uh, Yahoo, Facebook. They all have search engines. YouTube. <laughs> uh, yeah, YouTube. Uh, YouTube is a great search engine. Uh, and, you know, and for products, Amazon has almost bent become Google's biggest competitor because you, if you're going to look for a product, you don't even have to search for it on Google. You, you can just go straight to Amazon because you know you'll find it. So you need to be aware of which search engines uh, would bring the right people to your doorstep, and also know that if you're not there, you can't be found. So that's the first thing. If you're, you know, if you're not a guest on a podcast like this or you don't have a podcast, then you're probably not going to be found in iTunes search. Uh, that's something that needs to be considered as part of your overall strategy. Mm-hmm. But Google itself, the algorithm never really changes. Um, the algorithm is, we want the most relevant site to come up at the top. And no matter what they do to determine which is the most relevant site, I mean, they're, they're typically right. The most relevant site comes to the top. Uh, unfortunately companies that have a standard website that has, uh, let's just say it's 17 to 50 pages, and they they want to be found by 85 to 100 or 200 different keywords, they have this sort of disconnect in their mind that somehow that one sales page you know, that, that has that one little product that they sell is going to be indexed by Google and able to be found by 20 different keywords. But You know, there's millions of pages online that Google gets to crawl, and it's looking for the most relevant page about any one topic. So a blog gives you the opportunity to create new content that can be found and indexed, you know, by the search engines. You can't be found by 800 keywords with three pages of content. I mean, Google's going to look at those three pages and realize, yep, these are the most relevant keywords for these three pages, but... You know that can only be a handful of, of keywords that are relevant for those pages. You you need Google to find another page on your website that talks about something else if you want it to if you want to be found for that other thing. So uh, prose is a fantastic way. Now a blog itself doesn't necessarily mean it has to just be written content. You can embed YouTube videos. You can embed uh, podcasts. Um, you can embed slide share presentations or imagery. Uh, but it does give you an opportunity to actually be found and be relevant for more terms than your current 17 to 50 page static website mm.
0: This this might be getting a little too granular and it maybe sh- it maybe shows how dated I am, but can, can what's up with comments on blogs these days? What do you recommend to your clients? It seems like with social media, maybe the comment section um, isn't as relevant as it used to be. People used to sort of judge their blogs, I think, by the number of comments, and we, we all want to engage. But um, so, w- what's up with the comment section? What are you telling people these days?
1: So, from the search engine standpoint, uh, the search engines really look for three main things. They look for the the content specificity. You know, is it talking about the topic you want to be found? And then they they look for are there other webs And then uh, the third thing is they look for social engagement. So the question there is, are people liking, commenting, uh, tweeting, sharing, pinning, all those kinds of things? If you have comments enabled on your site and somebody leaves a comment, there's a really good chance that the words they use when they're replying to your post have either supporting keywords or keywords in their comments that just means not only does Google see that your page was just updated with new content because somebody left actual you know words but typically those words are related to your post so they had a great deal of value from a search engine standpoint now from a is my blog good enough type type feel you know am I getting the comments to prove that people like what I'm saying a lot of, of commenting and social engagement now happens in the social media sphere. So even people like Michael Hyatt, who run a you know a huge blog, at, at one point, and I, I'm not sure if he still does it, but he actually shut off the comments on the blog because he wanted the commentary to take place in the Facebook group, on the Facebook pages, because that's really where it was taking place, and he felt that if he left the comments open, then those kinds of Uh, conversations would become fractured Uh, so there's definitely uh an argument for asking for comments leaving comments um taking them totally off you know all all of those things can you can have make arguments for from a company's perspective you need to think about your resources uh your time available and make those kinds of determinations you know if if you leave comments live on your blog, and they have to be uh, they have to be approved, well, that takes time. So you, know, you get a factor it into that to the overall. You know, if we take time approving comments, what are we not doing as a company? Mm-hmm. Um, if we don't approve comments, then what are we saying as a company? Are we not letting people talk about the things that we have to say? And if we just leave them open, then you have to deal with spam, and that takes more time. So you know, really just comes down to a company decision, maybe even uh, trying a few things for a while and see how your audience uh, replies to it and then see how your team works within those confines. Uh, But there's really no right or wrong.
0: Good stuff. What's what's something new that has kind of come up onto your radar or something new that people are trying that that's 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 working. Maybe even within the last year it doesn't have to be within the last uh, last couple of days.
1: So we run the Amplify podcast, which is uh, almost entirely about this subject. What is the, what is new? What is it you need to be aware of in your online business? And I would say that probably the number one thing right now that people need to be thinking about is the culture of mobile. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, we've been throwing around at our blogging conferences that your your website needs to be mobile designed and desktop friendly, you know, instead of a desktop site that's mobile friendly. Because at this point in time, mobile is slowly taking over. And it's not that more and more people are using their phones. It's that more and more of the practical technology is mobile based, you know, the 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 kindle fires and the ipads these are just things people are using companies are replacing de- desktops with ipads and the culture of of mobile is totally different than that of the desktop the idea of swipe right and swipe left and swipe down and swipe up and open this window and you know th- that culture does not exist on the desktop so you really need to think about where what does your site look like compared to Tinder? You know, the, the apps, or compared to, you know, some game that kids are playing, like Angry Birds. Like, how do people play Angry Birds? What does that look like when they buy something? How is it added to their cart? Why does that look totally different than a desktop situation? And really move into the, the sphere of we need our website to be mobile culture ready. I mean sidebars are not a thing on mobile. So if you're hoping that you know people are going to see your advertisements or your your offerings in the sidebar of your website, like that's likely not going to happen on mobile. Otherwise they're going to have to scroll all the way to the bottom. So how do you integrate that into the content? How do you make people make those decisions in a mobile environment? And then are they clicking? Are they swiping? You know, what is it that they're doing? Because the mobile culture is going to change the way websites act at some point forever
0: so we should really take a look at how our blogs look on mobile
1: yeah i'm saying look but i'm also saying how do you interact with it mm. because the way you interact with just about every app foursquare the facebook app it's different than when somebody's sitting at their desk with a mouse pad you know the way that you, the way that you interact with it is what I really want you to look at. Hmm. Great if your content fits on the screen, right. but do they do they have to pinch it, you know, to to enlarge it so that they can click on a a blue link in the middle of text? Like how is it? Are you really prepared for where mobile is going? Is the question?
0: Great advice, Dan. That was really good. Thank you for sharing all of that on. On blogging, and we want. I just want to switch gears. We have a few questions that we ask everybody towards the end of our interview, and uh, so the first question and the answer doesn't have to be jelly, but uh, because we're the Jelly Marketing Podcast, what do you like to spread on your toast?
1: Uh, I like butter and peanut butter.
0: What kind of peanut butter? Are you a natural fan, or does it does it matter to you? Chunky or or, smooth or?
1: I really like chunky, and I really like interesting so like if somebody makes chunky peanut butter at home i think that would be cool i'd be interested in that
0: are you uh, an iphone person or an android person
1: i am not a phone person (laughs) however i have owned only android based phones although i guess i did have a blackberry and a palm trio at one point but i have not ventured into the to the iPhone, and whenever somebody lets me borrow theirs for even one thing, I, I don't exactly know how to go back, like, back to the previous screen. I can never <laughs> figure that out. Yeah.
0: Do you have a favorite app on your Android? Do you use apps?
1: I am not much of a phone guy, period. Yeah. But I do have apps. Rachel makes me use apps. <laughs> like I have, well, what do I have? I have, like, the basic one, Twitter, Messenger, I don't think I have anything super cool at all.
0: You're keeping it simple,
1: like <laughs> maybe Skype. But I don't even think that's super cool. I think that's like should be standard. <laughs> yeah.
0: And so, yeah. Another question that we have is: um, Do you have a favorite life or business hack to share? Some shortcut, loophole, or something that makes your life easier?
1: Well, sticking to the phone, I will say that I very, very much like the alarm on the phone. Because when you set the alarm, like 6 a.m., it tells you in in written language, your alarm is set for 12 hours and 45 minutes from now. Like I love that there is a second thing to make sure that you actually post, you know, you set your alarm on the right day. Like usually when I set the alarm, you know, on my regular clock radio at home, I'm not sure, did I set it for a.m. or p.m.? Did I set it for this Tuesday or next Tuesday? So I love that the phone alarm gives you that like second piece of feedback that gives me unbelievable comfort when I go to sleep.
0: <laughs> Although, have you ever done this, set your alarm for 6 p.m. instead of 6 a.m.?
1: Not with this little piece of thing because it will tell you. Okay. It's, your alarm is going to go off in eight hours. And I would know that if it was noon, that's not right because I don't need it to be set for 8 p.m., I would instantly know, ooh, I made a mistake. That's what. It's good. That's what
0: you're saying, right on. And it's hard to choose. There's lots of worthwhile causes out there. But I'm wondering if you have a cause or a nonprofit that's near and dear to you that
1: you like to support. I really like PlayPumps.org, which is a company that operates pretty much only in Africa. And they put uh, merry-go-rounds near communities with kids. And then the merry-go-round connects to a water source. And when the kids play on the merry-go-round, that acts like the pump. Huh. And it pumps water from underground into a, a water tower. And oh. it all you know it's all just by the power of kids. So, so I really like that.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I will
1: say from yeah. being a charitable standpoint, I will say that when we talk to solopreneurs, that our mission is that, you don't focus on that when you're building your business, that you work to basically not be poor because that's the time when you can really help out others. Hmm. And if, you, uh, if you're trying to build your business and support charities and you know teach the local librarian how to do WordPress so that she has some extra work, you end up really derailing yourself from what could be unbelievable success and your ability to help charities a great deal more.
0: Dan, I love that. I I work full time for a nonprofit. And I just think just being in that world, I have I see so many people that kind of have it reversed. You know, I run into lots of big hearted people that want to help. But, you know, because they're financially strapped, they're they're always unable to do something. So they're always looking to other people who have means to Make a difference, and and even though they, it's one of the biggest things in their lives that you know they want to make a difference. They can't because they, they don't have the the resources to do it.
1: Well, I think they can, but they need to realize that putting themselves first for a while might be the greatest path they could take. Yeah,
0: nice, great, great philosophy. I like that. And last but not least, what's the? How do you want people to get in touch with you? What do you want people to look up? You've got so many different things going on. You've got the Amplified podcast. You've got blogging concentrated, what, 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 where do you want people to go to, to find you?
1: Well, Rachel's constantly on uh, findingjoy.net, where she writes unbelievable uh, articles about uh, motherhood and um, and the journey that they're in. Uh, some of those actually have over a million likes on the, on the blog. People really uh, what they're thinking and puts it on paper in a way that uplifts them for the day. Uh, but otherwise, I would say bloggingconcentrated.com. You can uh, you can find out what we're doing and what's going on there at any point.
0: Good. Thank you so much for joining us today. Like I said earlier, really appreciated the advice that you gave. That was some great advice on blogging and uh, just want to wish you the best.
1: Well, we appreciate you having us. We really enjoyed it and look forward to coming back to Canada to say hey.
0: Well, thanks again to Dan Morris from Blogging Concentrated for joining us on episode 24 of the Jelly Marketing Podcast. If you'd like to check out some of the links and show notes from this episode, go to the Jelly Marketing Podcast page at jellymarketing.com and you'll find them under the blog tab of the website. Also be sure to check us out on iTunes and leave a comment and a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. You can fly.